0: You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia.
1: Well, good evening, everybody. How are you? It's good to see you. For those of you here in the room, those of you joining us online, so glad you are with us. Um, I'm going to talk to you tonight about one of the parables that Jesus uh, told in his ministry. Um, If you don't know, a parable is a story that sort of explains or opens up or reveals something about God or the kingdom of God, and specifically when Jesus would talk about parables. Um, A parable at its base level is simply means a comparison. So Jesus would often say the kingdom of heaven is like, and he would tell a story to describe that. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. This is called the parable of the wheat and the tares, or the tares also means the weeds, okay? So as you're turning and getting there, um, I looked at the news over the last few weeks. I don't watch the news on a regular basis. I do read news every single day, and I've just noticed something over the last three to four weeks that seems to have everyone on edge, just stuff going on in the world that seems to have everyone on edge. There's a long-lasting conflict right now between Russia and Ukraine that seems to come back and it dominates and it just seemingly will not end three to four weeks ago Hamas the Palestinian terrorist group who's also in leadership in Gaza launched surprise missile and ground attacks on innocent Israelis in Israeli territory unsuspecting not on military targets on civilian areas and as in the initial count not now after not now But within a week, 1,400 people were confirmed killed, Israelis, 4,500 injured. Vicious attacks, Cowardly people on innocent people. We read that and we're disturbed. But that's thousands of miles away, right? Less than two weeks ago, in Lewiston, Maine, a man opened up open fire in a bowling alley and a restaurant, killing 18 people, injuring 13, before taking his own life. It's closer to home, yet it's still a little distance away. And then this past weekend, a Cobb County school teacher, murdered by her husband, estranged in her home in front of her two children. What do all of these have in common? They seem senseless. They're unexplainable. When I read things about Israel, the Gaza Strip, it hits, but yet it's far away. Or even Maine, it hits, but it really isn't home. And then you realize evil exists not just theoretically in the world. It exists close to home. And when you read about those things, and when you see the totality of evil seemingly on the rise in the world today, you begin to ask questions. Why doesn't God do something? How much worse can it get? How long is this going to go on? does the Bible have anything to say about the evil that we are experiencing today? Jesus talking to the crowd, but especially who, to his disciples, addresses the problem of evil in the world today. In that day and today. And he gives us a window of insight after he tells the parable as he explains to his disciples later the meaning of the parable. So that we can understand why evil exists, what God is going to do about it, and when God is going to do something about it. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30, it says, here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. And when the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them in the bundles, and burn them. Put the wheat in the barn. Now, you read that passage, and you're probably like the people then and the disciples. When you say the kingdom of heaven is like, you go, okay. But what does that actually mean? Jesus, during this time, is using these moments right before he is going to be crucified for your sins and my sins to teach his disciples in-depthly about the kingdom. And so he takes his disciples to the side, and he begins to explain to them in verses 36 through 43 what the parable actually means. Verse 36, it says, Then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, Please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. So Jesus replied, The son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. And just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will remove from His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace, where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So he says, let me identify the things that are going on. He says, the farmer is the son of man. It's the son of God. It's me. He said, I'm bringing the gospel. I am the gospel. It is God's redemption through me. What is going to happen through me is the gospel. It is the good seed that is being, that is going to be spread. He said, the farmer is the son of man. It's me. I'm representing the father. He said, this is who, who, who we're talking about. He says, the field is the world. Now understand something. If you know anything about um, farming today, I want you to get that out of your head right now, okay? Because farming today, how many of you know anything about farming today? Let me see your hand. Oh my gosh. Nobody. Okay. <laughs> Seeds go in ground, plants grow up. We take stuff off plants, we eat them. Okay, so let's get that out of the way, all right? I grew up um, on the coast in Mississippi, okay, so I didn't grow up on a farm. My grandfather had a farm, and every single summer, we were free labor because we were out of school, and so the harvest would come, and we would have to go and, um, and begin to not only harvest what was done, but in Mississippi, like Georgia, but especially Mississippi because it's a lower elevation, you, had two, you, you got two harvest seasons out of it. You would plant in the spring, you'd get it in the early summer, and you could plant again, and you'd get another harvest in the fall in that. And so we would go out, and we would harvest, and then we'd come back and we'd plant. So today, in today's technology and world, you would literally just take something, a plow, and you would go through, and you would just dig up rows, okay? And when you dig the rows up, what you're doing is you're opening up the soil, you're going in, you're strategically planting seed down the rows, okay? You cover those up, you water those things, and come back, and it's all nice and pretty down in rows, okay? Not here. There, there are no plows, hardly. Yeah, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about tractors, okay? We're talking about they would roughly take the ground up. And as they're planting seed, they broadcast it. Broadcasting simply means, it's a nice word, that means you stick your hand in a bag of seed and you just chunk it. And you hope it lands in the right spot. Okay? So what he's saying is this. The world is the field. The farmer is the son of man, and this is the beauty of the gospel. It's not strategically placed for this section over here, but this row doesn't get it, and this one does. No, it's broadcast. Whosoever will, the gospel is for. And so he broadcasts the gospel. It's the good seed. It's what he is planting. Is the gospel. The good seed that comes up eventually are the people of God. But then he says there is a problem because an enemy comes in and also casts over the top of it seeds of weeds. Now, how many of you know what it takes to grow a weed? Nothing. Nothing. And he says it begins to grow with the wheat Now, this is a particular a tear is a particular type of seed. It's a particular type of weed that, as it begins to take root, you really and it begins to grow. You really can't tell the difference between wheat and it until it gets to full maturity. It's confusing. They look the same at first until later you realize there's a problem there. Weeds can begin to choke those out, and there's a problem. Now, you have to know how to identify weeds as well. So if you're here and say, why didn't they just see the weeds right up front? It was so difficult for them to understand the difference at the beginning of this. Now, I'm not, okay, I, I'm not, I don't have a green thumb, okay? Not at all. My house is where plastic plants go to die. I'm telling you, I have <laughs> no skill whatsoever. I don't even recognize the right trees or plants. When I lived in, so when I moved to Canton, Ohio, Okay. There's different foliage. There's different trees. There's different everything. And so as um, as um, I'm outside and springtime hits, I noticed the most gorgeous plant growing. I thought, my goodness, that thing is great. and it's growing so fast. I mean, so fast. And finally, I had one of our, our uh, one of our uh, church folks come over, and it, th- this thing had grown to like this tall, this tall. And I looked out and went, "What kind of plant is that? That thing is gorgeous." And they looked at me and they went. that's a weed. They're everywhere. I said, what do you mean it's a weed? It was was like a full-grown stalk. It's huge. It took me forever to get that thing out of the ground. I didn't know what was there. I didn't know what was supposed to be there. First of all, I have no knowledge. Second of all, I'm in a place I don't know. What he's saying is this. He says, you can't tell the difference at first until the fruit begins to rise until it begins to fully develop. And so the workers come and say, if an enemy's done this, should we go ahead and uproot it? And the farmer says, no, don't do that because you might damage it while it's still growing. Only at the end of the harvest, when it's time to harvest it all, will we take care of the weeds. He speaks to evil and the intent of the enemy. For the next just few moments, I want to answer a few questions about evil in the world based on what Jesus tells us in this parable. Number one is this. Did God create evil? Did God create evil? And the answer is no. No. Look at verse 24 again. It says, here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted, planted what? What does it say? Good seed in his field. And Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. Here's the the truth of scripture. All that God created was good. All that he created was good. Genesis 1.31, the very first part tells us, then God looked over all that he had made and he saw that it was very good. Through six days of creation, creating everything, including you and me, all that he created was good. So the second question is this. If everything God created was good, then why does evil exist? And the very simple answer is because of the choice that was made in the garden to not follow the instructions and the directions of God where God was putting guardrails up in order to keep them in his will, in his presence, and lead them towards everlasting life. They chose differently. And ever since then, mankind has been choosing differently for the most part. In the passage it tells us in verse 25, that night as the, as the workers slept, an enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. Jesus tells us that the enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Lee Strobel, who is an apologist, who used to be um, an award-winning journalist, um, uh, legal journalist at the Chicago Tribune, um, who set out to disprove Christianity after his wife got saved. He was so mad at her, he set out to prove. A year A year he studied, looking at everything to disprove Christianity and to disprove God and Christ. At the end of that year, he accepted Christ as Lord and Savior because he said, all of my investigation led me to believe that what, God, what the Bible says about God is actually true. Here's what he says. God created the possibility of evil. I need you to understand this in parentheses. It's not up there. God created the possibility of evil out of love but people actualized the potential. And what does that mean? That means that God gave the possibility of evil when he gave you a choice and me a choice to choose what we want to do with our lives, to choose how we'll respond to him, to choose the choices that we make in our actions. Why? Because God wants people to choose to love him in return for his love. If there is no possibility to not love God back, there is no possibility of real love. There's no possibility of a real relationship. If I force you or you force somebody else to love you, that's not really love. And the Bible tells us that God so loved the world that even though the potential is there, that he sent his one and only son and that whoever would believe in him would never perish but have eternal life. Why does evil exist? Because we choose evil. We chose it in the garden. We choose it when we see these evil acts. We choose it every single day all across this world. You have a choice and I have a choice. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. He didn't say, if you love me, you'll just express your love through words to me. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. He says, do you you know how I will know that if your love for me is real? If you obey my teachings. If you obey my commandments. Third thing. Third question. Why does God allow evil to continue. How many of you have ever asked this question before? Why doesn't God just do something about all this? You ever ask that question? Are you more spiritual than me? We do. I mean, we see evil everywhere. And if we see it, doesn't God see it? So why doesn't God do something about it? Jesus tells us in this passage in verses 26 to 29, he says, When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. And the farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. And they said, Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. And he replied, No, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. And then in verse 43, as he's explaining it, he says, The righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen. And understand. The question is: if God is great, if he's good, why does he allow human beings to hurt each other? And the answer I touched on a moment ago is called, in a theological term, free will. It's the greatest asset and the greatest liability that we have. We get to choose to love him, but we also can choose not to love him. God made us in his image, but gave us the freedom to decide how we will act and the ability to make moral choices in our lives. This is the one thing that sets us apart from animals. We have a moral compass and a moral ability to make those decisions. But it is also the source of so much pain in this world because every one of us Every one of us, every one of us is capable of making selfish, self-centered, or evil choices. And if you think you're not, the Bible says, woe unto you. Woe unto you when you think you're beyond that. Woe unto you. And whenever that happens, people get hurt. Sin ultimately is selfishness. Did you realize that? We want to do What we want, not what God tells us to do. It's selfishness. It's the same as in the garden when the the devil tempts Eve and says, Did God really say, don't touch that? No, that's not what he He says. Don't eat of that. He says, Oh, no, no, no. You can eat of that because here's what God's doing. God doesn't want you to do that because when you do, you'll become like him. God's holding out on you the goodness and blessing that you think you deserve in your life. It's a temptation. We don't want to do what God wants to do. But unfortunately, sin always hurts others and not just ourselves. Always. God could have eliminated all the evil in the world by simply removing our ability to choose. He could have made us puppets on strings that just do at His command. He could have done that if He wanted to. But God didn't want robots. God wanted a relationship with you. He created you to love you and you to love him back. Love is not genuine if there's no other options. Listen, God could have kept the Islamic and Palestinian ter- terrorists from taking innocent lives and slaughtering innocent lives a few weeks ago. Could he have? Yes. Could God have stopped the shooter in Maine? Yes. Could God have stopped this man from murdering his wife in front of the children? Yes, he could have short-circuited their ability to choose. But to be fair, if God did that to them, he'd have to do it to all of us. In order for God to eliminate all evil in the world, at what moment does he do it? At just the right moment where you're in the perfect relationship with him? When you made all good decisions for the days and you lay your head down at night and everything's all good, okay, this is the moment, God. Take everybody now. But if you're praying that way, what about the other person who the next night or the previous night has prayed that way and you weren't in that condition at that moment? When should God do that thing we think he ought to do? Eliminating all evil now, Jesus said, would damage the children of God. And that's unacceptable to him. Eliminating all evil. Now, I need you to understand something. There is such a thing as the power of prayer, there is such a thing as spiritual warfare. And just as the instances that I've shared with you over the last few weeks, there are moments and instances where people were faced with evil and they prayed and God chose to intervene in that moment and save them. But the purpose of all of that was, yes, He cared about them, but it was so that His glory would be seen. So that His majesty would be seen in those moments. Because when you read Scripture... When you live a life as a Christian, one of the things it's hard to wrap our minds around because we think we're the center of the story, right? We're not. God is. God is the center of it all. It's the reason why we sang, and angels would fly around and cry, Holy, holy. Holy, it's the reason why in the book of Revelation, everybody's bowing down, not at us and the way we've lived. No, all of us with our crowns at the end of the age will cast them before the Lord, the Lamb of God, and say, holy, holy, holy. He's the center of the story. And God could absolutely eliminate every bit of evil right now. But more than likely, he would damage you, or the person you're sitting next to, or the person you love, he could do it. So the question is, if he's not going to do it now, when will evil end? And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, verse 30, he said, let both of them grow together until the harvest. Then I'll tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burned them, put the weed in the barn. Verses 39 to 42 explains it. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. And just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they'll remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace, where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When will it end? The parable says at the end of the age. And what is the age? It's the age of grace. It's this moment of grace that we're living in. In the totality, in the annals of time, it's the grace that we're living in. Listen, in heaven, God's will is perfectly done. Everything is done. That's why there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no evil. But here on this earth, we're in a fallen, imperfect place, and we must choose to do God's will every day. It's why Jesus told us to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not automatic. It's a choice, and it also requires prayer on the part of his people. And the Bible explains that the root of evil, and this is the crisis that we're in. In John three nineteen, the message version says, God's light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for darkness, Because they weren't really interested in pleasing God. The truth is, we're far more interested in pleasing ourselves than we are in pleasing the one who made us. But in heaven, God's will is done. And on earth, we sometimes mistake God's patience for a lack of concern. Why is God waiting? Because Jesus said, no one knows, not even the Son, the day nor the hour that the Son of Man is going to return, but only the Father in heaven. 2 Peter 3, 9 tells us that God is willing that none would perish, but all come to repentance. His will is, as many people broadcast the good news of Jesus' love. will accept it. I've told you this before. I want to remind you of this, though. For thousands of years, people have been praying, Lord, it's bad. We need you to come now. Exiled on the island of Patmos, which was a Roman punishment prison. John, who writes the book of Revelation, that begins to open up and reveal to us the end of the world. At the very end of it, he says, even so, oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thousands of years people have been praying, Lord, come quickly. Here's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that Jesus is patient. For years and years and years and years, I grew up in church and I knew my great-grandmother and my grandmother and my parents, they were praying, Lord, come quickly. I am so thankful Jesus didn't come quickly before January of 1991. Because I'd have been one of those that the angels came and tied into a bundle and cast into eternal punishment where there'd be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know when, and I don't know how, but I do know that when it's just the right time and when God has given everyone the ability in the way that he knows in his justice and righteousness to either accept him or reject him, to love or to hate him, He's going to send his son. So how does that apply? I want to give you a couple of things. Number one is this. Evil exists because God has allowed it out of his love for us because he gives us the right to choose. Number two is this. Evil separates true servants of God from counterfeits. At the end of it, it's when the fruit comes. And Jesus said, by your fruit, they'll know you. Whether it's genuine, whether it's real. Number three is this it's hard to distinguish between the two sometimes. I wonder if our culture is reaping what we have sown for so many years. We can't live without a moral compass. We can't live where there are no values. We can't live in a world without God because without God, there is no right or wrong. And without right or wrong, the world will fall apart. The Russian novelist Dostoevsky says, if God is dead, then everything's justifiable. The Old Testament, there's a book called Judges, records a time where the Bible says everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and at the very end of that book, it tells a horrific story of a man with a concubine who is caught outside, and men come and rape her and kill her. He takes that woman, mutilates her body, cuts it into 12 pieces, sends it to the 12 tribes, and says, look what's happening here in this tribe of Benjamin. And the rest of the tribes come together, and they rain down retribution on Benjamin, the tribe. And they said, nothing like this has ever happened before. The author puts that story at the end of the book because he wants us to know when everybody does what's right in their own eyes, society will crumble. We sow the wind, and we reap the whirlwind. It's hard to distinguish until the moment where the fruit of righteousness or the fruit of evil reveals itself. Number four is this. Jesus reminds us in this parable, ultimately, God is in control. Jesus said, wait. Wait until the harvest. And then I'm going to gather the good, and I promise you I'm going to punish the bad. Trust me. Because number five is that God's justice will ultimately prevail. His grace will prevail for those who have depended on him. His justice will prevail over those who have rejected him. And trusting God's plan and his will in the face of evil is an ultimate form of faith. Listen, I'm not telling you to be a pacifist. I'm not telling you, just sit back and take it. I'm not. You need to take a stand for what's right. You need to pray every day. You need to pray for leadership and communities and states and countries and the world. You need to pray over those things. You need to stand for what is morally right, what the Bible says is right. But ultimately, our hope is not through men and women that are elected, it's through a God who is sovereign sitting on a throne that we did not create and we have no say in. And we have to put our trust in Him. And it is an ultimate form of faith that I believe God is in control and I'll trust Him. And that I don't have to lie awake at night worrying about all the events that are taking place around the world. I can be concerned, I can pray, I can get involved. Nor those things that are happening locally or nationally. Again, be concerned. Get involved. Pray. Go into spiritual warfare. But there's no reason for you to lie awake at night worrying about something that ultimately God says, it's in my hands. I need you to trust me with it. Because when God says something is His and I try to take it, why would I steal from God? God even said this vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Don't try to take out of God's hand what he says is his, and he will do. And don't lie awake at night worrying about something that God says, ultimately, he's in control. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, in this place right now, I thank you that you cared enough about us and the circumstances that we go through, that you literally speak, even though it was written thousands of years ago, even though words written in antiquity are still ringing true today, that you are ultimately in control and that these things of evil do not surprise you, they don't scare you, they don't worry you, but you're reminding us Don't worry about it, that you've got it under control. So God, today, I pray that you let that settle deep down in our hearts. And I also pray that we continue to pray as the apostle John did, and as people have prayed ever since then. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, we need you. We give you praise for your sovereignty. We give you praise for your grace. We give you praise for the good things you do in spite of all the evil in the world. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, please. Pastor Savannah and the worship team are gonna lead us in a chorus. It's called Hymn of Heaven. And it's a picture of how it's gonna be when God makes all things right. And I want you to sing this with faith tonight. Even if your heart is dealing with something, Sing it in faith knowing God is turning everything right in this world and God's in control. Let's sing and believe right now.
0: join the resurrection And stand beside the heroes of the faith What a day And with one voice A thousand generations Sing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain
2: Come on, we sing And on that day We join the resurrection
1: in this place amen bless his name bless his name listen I'm praying for you this week that peace will just settle over your heart over whatever circumstances you're personally facing or whatever circumstances you worry about in this world I believe the prince of peace can settle in you heart your heart and literally give you peace that the world cannot even comprehend in your heart and mind in Christ Jesus I believe that and I'm praying for that for you this week. I hope you'll be here this Sunday as we begin our brand new series that's talking about things I learned in Sunday school. We're gonna talk about Daniel and the lion's den and what does it mean to have that type of fearless faith this Sunday. So I hope you'll be a part of that before you, so before you leave, allow me the privilege to bless you tonight. The Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you folks. Love you. Have a great remainder of the week.
0: Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountparanorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.